Amen. All right, listen, church. How many of you know that the Apostle Paul dealt with the issues of the day? So when he was dealing with, uh, when he was dealing with strife in their midst, he addressed it directly. When he was dealing with worldviews and philosophies and theologies, he did it directly. He dealt with the Judaizers. The apostles dealt with Gnosticism. The apostles dealt with all kinds of philosophies that were around. I'm prepping you because I'm going to do that today. I'm going to deal with some things that are happening uh, in our culture. And I'm going to do it as I talk about children in the Lord. Going back to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Also, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to finish Ephesians by October 1st. It'll be all right. But, and also, by the way, you didn't mention Chris, did you, Gail? Uh, the first week of October, we will have a special guest. His name is Chris Reed. We will have a special guest musician, Amy Cutler. Chris is going to blow your mind. You don't know him. You haven't met him. Um, he's a passionate preacher, an anointed uh, person in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, gives words of knowledge along the line of what we experienced with Sean Boltz and some others, and uh, it'll be fun. It's going to be fun. Children in the Lord, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Help me, church. Children obey your parents. For well, this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right, you ready? If children are going to obey their parents, their parents have to have some stuff inside of them. Paul was talking to covenant uh, to people who were trained in, in Torah as well as Gentiles who were being trained in the gospel. They had something in them. And he said, he said now I'm going to instruct your children. Children, look to your parents, obey them in the Lord. Even as marriage was Christocentric in, in uh, the previous verses, now we're going to see that the experience of uh, children is Christocentric. You obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, I do know that we live in a world with some twisted people who do some twisted things. And so this is in the Lord. And uh, all the details of walking that out. Honor your father and mother. You see, he's, by the way, he's talking to the body of Christ. He's assuming he's talking to uh, Life-giving families, not abusive families. Um, and when, the, when he did, he would address it directly. I was so fascinated when I was, like every time I've been in Mozambique, where Heidi Baker is, there's weddings. And every time I hear her do a wedding, she addresses the violence of the family because the African family is so riven with violence. And she addresses it directly and she makes... She makes husbands vow to not, he makes, she makes husbands vow not to beat their wives in front of everybody. And uh, so 
as a culture is being brought into Christ, there are some amendments that have to happen. All right, ready? Whew. Help me, Jesus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Already did that. First commandment with a promise. In the Bible, the entire corpus of commandments was concluded in Deuteronomy with a series of promises. These promises were promises of um, uh, um, prosperity and peace. Uh, prosperity and blessing. I'll bless you, I'll bless you, the head, not the tail, I'll bless you, I'll bless you. Um, but the first commandment with a promise actually went to the children. That your days would be long. Uh-oh. That you, you live a long life and you'll be blessed. So children, walk in harmony with your family and, and, and grow into adulthood in a blessing. And the fathers are hedged and exhorted. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Now, every father I've ever known has managed to do that so you know what it is. That is to say, you've disciplined your children in such a way that instead of creating in them security and peace and comfort and, and rest, you've created anxiety, distress, anger, resentment. And the apostle is saying, come on, guys, sort that out. So he hedges fathers with this commandment, and he says, bring them up in discipline and instruction. All right, got all that? Because we're gonna go, we're gonna go down a trail. We're gonna go down a trail. In Genesis chapter three, we we have read about. By the time you get to Genesis chapter three, you've read about God forming the man and the woman, and placing them in an environment. The environment turned out to be adversarial. There was an adversary in the environment. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. I like the old King James, more subtle. Anybody ever ran into a subtle serpent? I got tickled the other day when my neighbors found a rattlesnake in their yard. They were frustrated with me because I wanted to get close. They insisted that I be further away from the serpent than, than, um, than they want us to be farther from each other than social distancing. Well, you needed some social distancing from this one because he's deceitful. Now, that same craftiness is brought up in the Ephesians corpus that I put there, that verse for you. We already had that, and they were warned about the, the craftiness and deceitful schemes of men, humans that are inspired by it. And all through the Bible, there's this running into deceitfulness. 
the assumption behind teaching your children and the assumption behind your children obeying their parents is that you are rooted and grounded in the truth and that you are, you are fixed on, on the truth of the gospel, the truth of God, the truth of the principles of the Bible, the truth. There's never been a time, I don't think, that certainly in my lifetime, where the truth was harder to access. If you listen to media of any kind, you're going to be listening to somebody who is not even very subtle, not even very good at it. But we, and, and I have to tell you, there's nothing that has so affected me in this day and time than the lies that are out there everywhere. Very first thing that the first man and the first woman encounter is one who comes to them and lies to them about their vocation and lies to them about their God. And deceives them into what? Obeying their voice. It's been an obsession of mine for a very long time. Your life is controlled by the voice you listen to. I say it when I go teach youth. I say it everywhere I go. Whatever the voice you listen to, that's your God. If you want, if you want the simple understanding of idolatry, what's the voice you're listening to? You say, I'll, go, I'll, I'll back it down. Okay, you, that's not your God, but you're the disciple of that voice. I'll make it softer so you won't react so hard to it. But the philosophy behind that voice, well, that's a whole other thing. Uh, anybody who heard me last night is going like, this is not what he did last night. And here's why. Because what I got to at the end was what I needed to get to at the beginning. Because the stuff I did all at the beginning last night is stuff most of you who've been around me have heard me go on about before. But what I want to give you, you haven't heard me go on about. So let's do this. The children ask you a vital question. Who do the children belong to? When God created humanity, he had created us in his image. Hallelujah. I ran into this word craftiness in this passage, and I was astonished. I'm like, ooh, I need this passage. So they asked him, teacher, Luke chapter 20, verse 21, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no, no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now take note, they are living under the rule of Caesar. They're being taxed by the Roman Empire. They're trying to figure out how to live inside the empire. How do you live? How do you, 
How do you walk this thing out? Who do we obey? He perceived their craftiness. They're trying to slip him up. So he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what they said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. So here they are. They're trying to trip him up and create for him a problem. And he, he, goes, he goes at this thing in a way that they go, ooh. Now clearly there's some presentation in there for us. So now I'm going to ask you again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Who do your children belong to? Let me ask it another way. Who has sovereignty over the teaching of your children? Caesar? Uncle Sam? Local school board? Dum, da, dum, dum. Let's go back to Genesis before we ran into that crafty one. Then God said, Let's, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the relationship to God that informed the Jewish and Hebrew mind. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then it's always fascinated me that if you read the rest of the Genesis story, you'll come to this place where it starts giving the genealogy when Adam had lived 130 years, Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, he fathered a son in his own likeness and after his image and named him Seth. Now, don't miss the point. The original creation was in the image of God. The subsequent generation was also in the image of God because a passage after this tells us so. But it's also in the image of mom and dad. Got some kids in here. Some image bearers. Whose image are on those kids? Whose image is on those kids? Yeah. Whoever said God's is correct. Whoever said their parents is correct. So now to whom do we render these children? When a culture is in crisis, things change. 
Um, I, I am not so taken with the fact of conspiracies because I don't really think hum humans are that smart. And I know they're too clumsy to, to carry out their plans. But people who do have agendas watch for opportunities. And when the opportunities come, they snatch them. Such is the moment we are in in history. And so, it has been a season for parents to take a fresh look at education of their children. Because guess what? The government can't manage it right now because it has cross-purposes. Now listen, I know some of you work in the public schools. If you get taken out by what I'm saying, you're missing the point. I'm not telling you you're evil. I'm not telling you you're wrong. But I am telling you, you're inside of a system that has a way of being. And you're the servant of the system as well as a parent. And the truth is, you're not as free as you were 10 years ago, and you're certainly not as free as you were when I was a kid going to school. Your tongue is bound, your mind is bound, you're being trained, you're, you're literally being trained in a whole new philosophy of thinking. And it's been happening inch by inch, your frog in the kettle being, bo being boiled. Now listen to me again. You're a parent. You're an administrator. You're in the public school system. Do not get angry at me. Christians served in the Roman army. I'm not telling you to stop what you're doing. I'm not telling you it's evil. I'm not telling you you're evil. But I will tell you this. You're in a system that doesn't serve Christ. That's, so that's it. Okay. So... All right, so, so there. So Now listen, and I'm telling you that even in that system, your job is to be the primary teacher of your children, to know what they're taught, to oversee what they're taught, to administer what they're taught. The original founding of this nation was a protest over the state taxing people and not representing them, not giving them a voice. For years now, I've had this growing roar of a protest inside of me that we as believers are being taxed to give our kids to the state so the state can educate our kids into a faith that we don't believe. And now a great opportunity has come. Well, I'm, I'm going to go to hell for sure, aren't I? <laughs> I'm old now. A great opportunity has come for us to re-examine the education of our children. And there's possibilities. A few years ago, the protest about education of our kids became so strong that charter schools got started. And charter schools got started as an intentional alternative to draw children out of a system that had a worldview that was, not, that was not the same. And it made some modified changes. And if you do any study, for instance, on the, on the charter school system, 
And and I would challenge you to read uh, Thomas Sowell's latest book, this 90-year-old man who wrote a book about the the charter school system in New York City, and he wrote about charter schools and their enemies. Because guess what? Those who are vested in power don't want the changes in the schools, even if the science proves that the changes benefit the children. Now, oh, I'm going to be in all kind of trouble. I don't care. You know I love you. You know you don't have to agree with me. You know you can fight with me, but I'm preaching. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) So I I didn't hesitate at all when I started seeing that that, oh my goodness, these mitigations are not gonna let kids go back to schools and they're gonna change the ways families have to work. Families are amazingly adaptable. We can do all kinds of things we didn't think we could do till we had to do them. And when you have to do things, you can do them. And so I've exhorted my homeschooling families, be apostles and evangelists and teach people how to do it and gather them up. And, and, uh, and I've encouraged others who are reformers in the education system, strike now. This is the time. This is the moment. Am I a conspiratorial guy? You bet I am because I have an agenda. Let's stop pretending that the only people with a conspiracy are, is the devil's people. I've had a conspiracy ever since I met Jesus and I'm getting people to conspire with me to introduce people to him so that by all means, by every way, people can come to know him, be submitted to his love, have their lives transformed. I'm a conspirator. Hallelujah. That's why I understand other conspirators. I know how they're thinking. They're out there. They're out there. And you need to know that one of the philosophies in today's education system is that the children belong to the state, not to the family. I'm telling you, it's a deeply rooted system. We started to notice it when it became possible for our children to get abortions without parental notification, though they couldn't take an aspirin. We started to, and and now we're noticing it that, so, that, so that our children can become, can have confusion sown into them about their identity and then have the school empower them to change their identity without their permission, permission of their parents. Who do these children belong to? But understand this, if we give our children to the beast, it'll make them beastly. Time to reform. Time to change things. Okay, I'm not even no close to done. I have a little bit more time. Education of our children, God or government. How many of y'all, can I lay something to rest right now? Can I tell you to please stop looking around for Antichrist? He's here. And will you please stop saying who and ask what? The word Antichrist is in the Bible five times. Not one time does it apply to an individual. It applies to a spirit that's in the world. 1 John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Listen, just so you understand. 
Don't believe every voice. Let me make this easier for you. Say, how do I know it's a spirit? Don't believe every voice. The first Antichrist spirit that came in the world came and spoke to them. So how do you know what you're getting at when you're getting at Antichrist? Antichrist speaks. Don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many, and then it says false prophets, false voices have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Who do your children belong to? And you. Which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. You see, it's the spirit of anti-Messiah. It's the spirit of anti-anointing. The anointing was on the Davidic king. It's not until the Davidic king is in the world and is revealed that the spirit of Antichrist can manifest. And so already, the spirit of Antichrist, which was there nailing him to the tree, is in the world. So now, can I tell you something? Can we please stop arguing over whether America's a Christian nation? The, the test is easy and America fails. America is a nation like all the other nations. Is it special? Yeah, it's special because I'm here. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm gonna... <laughs> People all the time are like, I can't believe he said that. I'll be more undignified than this. told you about politics. I've told you that politics are salvation narratives. I've told you that the, that the salvation narratives of the political parties of the United States of America are not confessors of Christ. You can ally with one, you can partner with one, but you cannot claim that it, is the, that it is the voice, presence, and representation of Jesus and his kingdom in the world. They failed the test. So you and I live in the world as, uh, as people who are uncomfortable with the powers, uncomfortable with the voices, uncomfortable with those who sit in seats of authority. And so we have a protest. Everyone has a worldview, and every political party has a worldview, and every philosophy of life has a worldview. Worldview asks these questions Who are we? Well, who are we? We're the image bearers of God. We belong to Him. What is our fundamental problem? 
as human beings. Well, the one we belong to, we have rebelled against. All we like sheep have gone astray. What is the solution to our problem? We need a, we need a sake, we need redemption. And what is our primary moral duty? Well, what is it? And what is our purpose in life? These are the kinds of questions that worldview asks. Worldview tells you who you are, where you are on the map, and what you're all about. And every one of you has a worldview. And every education system has a worldview. And every education system is intentional about its worldview. So if you are wondering what the heck is going on in the United States of America today, it's a brand new worldview that has never gained uh, or has never had as much of an opportunity as it has right now. And just like I'm telling you to rush into the void of the education of your children, people are rushing into the void of asking the questions, what's going on? And the reason that you look at what's going on and say this is crazy is because it manifests a worldview that is contrary to your worldview, contradictory to the things you believe, and causes you to have confusion because you're living in an alien territory. However... The evangelists of this worldview are deeply entrenched in power. They are in entertainment. They are in government. They are in education. But they are not yet in all the systems of power. And so there's a lot of conflict going on. Because the worldviews that are happening in America are at odds with one another. And this seminal moment of COVID-19 has unsettled the order of things. And so the powers that be have taken extraordinary power over your lives. They've told you where you can go, where you can't go, how you have to dress, how you can't dress, who you can touch and who you can't touch. They have... And they've done it all in the name of saving you. And they've done it all in the name of telling you that if you don't obey them, you're a murderer. Come on, you've heard it. I'm, I, I'm more passionate than I thought I was going to be. Let me tell you one thing they can't do. They can't save you from death. Can't save any of us from death. We're all dying. Are we going to live? Because we're all going to die. Are we going to live? I'll say, okay, so let's talk about worldviews. Because have you ever seen anything like this? Who ever thought we would have a time when, when people would be forbidden to go visit their relatives in the hospital and go together for funerals and weddings, but mass protesters could march in the streets with the approval of the government? What does this worldview, worldview, whoever thought that there would be mass protests in the streets and in the midst of it, lots of violent riot, rioting and public reporters saying, this is mostly peaceful. While buildings, build in, uh, buildings burn behind them. Whoever thought there would be mayors and governors who would refuse to stop the damaging of private property and public property in the name of justice? 
Whoever thought these things would happen? It's a worldview, people. There is, a, there is a worldview that has gotten hold of our culture. It's controlling us. And you're like, how do you know? Because you become powerless in the face of, of when, when a worldview gets entrenched, it's like, it's literally, it's like the beasts of revelation. Stop. And so I am telling you, the Antichrist is already here. But this isn't the first time. It's manifested since then at least, Right? What is this worldview? Bum, ba, dum, bum. Can't see it very well. Oh, I can see it up here. Yeah, you can see it. I can't see it very well. So I'll probably turn my back on you and preach what I can see. Christianity and critical theory are competing worldviews. All right. How many of you have ever, have not heard of critical theory until I'm just now mentioning it? If you've not heard of it, be bold enough to tell me. Let me see hands. All right. How many of you have heard of it, but you're not sure what it is? All right. So that's, so that's about right. Here's the worldview of critical theory. And this is why things have gone crazy in your midst. And this is why it's not going to let up quickly. It's not going to be over soon. Because it's entrenched in the way people think. Now listen to me. This stuff has been being taught in the universities for two generations. At least since the 60s, 70s, and it has exploded the 90s and beyond. You send your children off to get their education and they are discipled in a worldview. This worldview has taken over the social sciences all of the social sciences of all of the institutions are teaching this worldview. You better start looking into it and finding out what it is. Do I sound angry? Good. All the institutions are teaching it. The STEM, the STEM disciplines have, have avoided it. Now listen to me. That means the scientific disciplines have avoided it. Why am I speaking about it? Because those rascals have found a way to get at the STEM disciplines through business. They can't get at them through the education system because they're committed to a teaching that has the scientific worldview and is committed to evidence. Critical theory is not committed to evidence. This is what I was telling you about. I didn't have a name for it. I'm not going to misname it now if I can help it. This is what I was telling you about in the months and weeks ago when I was saying even left-wing people are fleeing from the horrors of a worldview. Liberals, in the classical sense of liberals, enlightenment liberals, are running with their pants on fire from this worldview because it is an ideology that is all consumptive and it doesn't care about the truth, it cares about agenda. Why is it compelling? Because the agenda it portends to care about is justice for all. I think it really does care about that. Until you get in the way. Like, so many things are happening that are like, why is this happening? How did this happen? Where did this come from? 
It's as if, it's as if a mindset has, it, it's literally like somebody switched a switch and everybody all of a sudden became zombies. It's a zombie apocalypse. People are being controlled by this way of thinking. Here's what it says. Christianity believes in creation and a creator God and being created in the image of God and being created for God. Critical theory has a blank space. Critical theory deals with what is. Now, what does critical theory actually believe? Critical theory believes that there are two classes of people in the world, oppressors and the oppressed. Now, it also believes that you can belong to both classes at the same time. It also means that you can be in one class and suddenly you're in the next class. It means you can be a winner and then a loser. By the way, I'm the devil in, clerical, in, 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 in uh, critical theory. I am the canonical serpent in the garden. Why? Because I'm white, male, old, heteronormative, abled, cisgender. I'm everything that's wrong in the world. It's the truth. And even though I represent a very tiny pie of the, of the public, Y'all gonna have to look those words up, aren't you? <laughs> That's all right, I had to. <laughs> I'm the problem. The deal is, the people who have power oppress people who don't have power, and the people who don't have power have to do something about it. So here it is. Christianity says there's something wrong. We have fallen away from God. By the way, Christianity says we are all in God's image. Christianity says we have all fallen away from God. We have solidarity. The solidarity in critical theory is um, oppression. If you belong to an oppressed class, you have solidarity with those people. It's loosed on us, folks. This worldview is loosed on us. It's controlling our behavior. And it found a narrative that it could seize. And the narrative that it seized was police violence against blacks. Now, I want you to listen to me and be very careful and listen to me. Black people have suffered like nobody in, in America, and I agree with those who say that the way we've treated black people has been the original sin of our nation, and it's been the thing that we're working out and that we haven't even yet successfully worked out. But it's a very different thing to believe a thing is true and then to come to the conclusion that therefore we have to destroy the whole. It's a, the difference here is is reform needed or is destruction needed? When people began to destroy the icons that represent the unity of a nation, they're wanting the whole nation destroyed. Whoever's image they're destroying, they want that destroyed. This is why it confused you because there were some icons that you said, I can understand that one being brought down, right? 
And then all of a sudden they started bringing down icons that you said, I can't understand that. Interestingly, uh, <laughs> it did stop, but it only stopped when it got expensive. <laughs> now, images and icons, every nation has them. They represent what brings those people together and what's, what identifies those people. When somebody's destroying those things, they're trying to destroy your identity, your corporate identity. This is why some of you, now I'm fixing to go down a trail that's too complex. I'm not doing it. By the way, I'm sorry, I'm gonna finish. <laughs> Y'all want me to stop? I'm gonna finish today. So here it is, the oppressor. Now here are the oppressors, patriarchy, white supremacy, heteronormativity, toxic masculinity, classism, ageism, ableism, cisgenderism. These are the, that's the oppressor class. And that's the problem in the world. Critical theory finds the oppressor and deconstructs the oppressor. In the gospel, in Christianity, there's redemption. Now listen to me, there is no redemption in critical theory. It does not have a redemption forgiveness narrative. And this is why they said, stop talking about reconciliation. We're not making peace. There's never been a nation more set up for this. We are such a guilt-laden nation. We're perfect for it. We got enough guilt going on inside of ourselves, Protestant guilt, Catholic guilt. Now I have patriarchy guilt, white supremacy guilt, heteronormative. I got guilt everywhere. Just go ahead and destroy me. Some of you are saying, no, they got the wrong guy with you, didn't they? <laughs> Probably, maybe, I don't know. Redemption is activism. So your, your, so a whole generation of young people have gone to school. They've been trained to protest, resist, educate, raise awareness, activism. Activism is the goal. Uni university system has become a training ground for political activists. And that's why, I'm sorry, go to the streets. Strangely enough, the protesters in the streets are mostly white and mostly female just like the college population. Now, interesting thing happened with this. How many of you remember the wall of moms that was up for days? The wall of moms was up there for about 10 days, the wall of moms. And all we heard about from the left press was the wall of moms, the wall of moms, wall of moms, until the oppressed class said, you guys are identified with the oppressor now. You don't represent Black Lives Matter well enough. They literally had to publicly repent. I was like, what's going on here? These are the things that made me go, I don't understand what's going on. These are the things that made me ask questions. Interestingly, they willingly repented. We have a, we have a, a play about Hamilton swept our nation until they said to him, you represent the oppressive class. You have to repent. And the makers, directors, writers of that play had to publicly repent and renounce their racism because they weren't enough down the line as an oppressed class. If this is the gospel you want, it's the gospel that's in the world today. 
It's the gospel that's controlling the public narrative of America. Are you guys okay? How many of you can tell I'm protesting? Now, it goes on. It goes on. Restoration. Nope. Liberation is the thing. I began to hear about this when I was a kid in school, young kid in school in my 20s, learning liberation theology. And I thought, well, this will come to nothing. Oh, it has. It's defined the gospel. So liberation means equity, power reversal, justice, and diversity. All right. Y'all okay? Because I'm not finished. Are y'all okay? You can... I'm burning. I'm, I'm up... I'm burning. I stayed up all night. I'm going to go home and sleep like a baby this afternoon, and you're going to stay up all night tonight. So what happened? What happened? This thing broke out in New Mexico. It didn't break out where you expected it to break out. It didn't break out. The street stuff wasn't so much. It was about 30 fires one night, but it didn't mount to that much, and it didn't last, and it didn't go on and on. It broke out at Sandia Laboratories. What's in Sandia Laboratories? The defense of our nation. How do you get in Sandia Laboratories? It's a meritocracy. You get in that thing by your accomplishments. They don't care what you look like, where you come from. They care if you can do the work. And you get spun in and spun out by merit. It's a place where the scientific method rules. They don't care about your opinion. What does the data show? So what's happened? Well, critical theory came in through the HR department. Critical theory came in to the, to the HR department and said, this is an unjust system. It's a patriarchy. It's heteronormativity. It's got white supremacy. It's classism in here. We got to clean this thing up. Where do we start? We're going to re-educate you. What is that going to look like? You're going to come to classes and we're going to tell you that there's something wrong with you. And if you protest, it's the proof that there's something wrong with you. Just like an abusive husband. An abusive husband tells you there's something wrong with you and you submit. That means you prove there's something wrong with you. You protest and that proves there's something wrong with you. And that's how the re-education is going. That's the white fragility training that's going on in our country. I'm not lying, people. I'm telling you what is actually happening. I spent some time listening to the apostle of white fragility. She was convincing she was warm, she was funny, she was witty. And she was spewing one message. I don't care, one message, based on your identity, you're a racist. Hallelujah. I listened just a, listen, I listened just a little bit and I almost repented. But I'm like, what am I repenting of? Whiteness. Oh, I don't know how to repent of that. That's because the stain will never leave you. You are Macbeth. You've committed a crime and you cannot get it off your hands. I'm sorry, honey. Do you still love me? 
you have to actually ride home with me today. I'm not lying. And so a lone protest was raised at Sandia Labs. I don't know if it was alone or not, but one dude. And he protested based on two things. Number one, the fact that it does not pass the scientific method test. That the claims and the facts mis misfire at many points. Number two, he, he protested on the basis of actual policy that's at the Sandia Laboratories about partisan politics. And of course, he lost at every level. And then this, this crazy sucker did an hour-long video on YouTube and sent it to 16,000 people. And the powers that be had that thing scrubbed in 12 hours. And they had him on administrative leave. But guess what you have at Sandia? A lot of really smart people and they can find stuff. <laughs> and guess what happens when you tell people, don't eat of that tree. <laughs> Speak up. Speak up and speak up in accordance with your worldview and know this, the day has come that the members of your own household are going to oppose you because this philosophy has seeped into everything and the match was lit. You study the history of revolutions in nations, ideas fill people and then somebody lights a match. That was good. The air came on. I did, I did that. Y'all know I did that. Here we are at a seminal moment in history. Now, I'm not telling you to act in an equal and opposite manner. But I am telling you to alarm, arm yourselves and be aware and start learning what the heck is going on. This is why, for instance, this is why the people in power in cities and state governments, the people in power know the rules of this game. And it's very interesting. So they submit to the rules and they allow things to happen that, in, that break the norm of law and order. And then, here's how crazy this game is, so you'll know where it's going. And then the people who they empowered come after them. They find their dresses. They come to their houses. They come looking for them. They get petitions for them to resign. Why? Because they're in the seat of power. That alone. They have to come down. They can't be trusted. Who are we? I'll close with this. If you want to stand, that'll be the symbol that I'll have to stop soon. You can stand. Who are we? We're God's creatures. We're not members of a group. 
We are individuals under God. Yell standing because she wants you to stand with her in solidarity, so I'll stop. She wants you to stand with her. There it is. What is our problem? Who is our solution? What is our duty? What is our purpose? And listen to me because I'm going to tell you something that you won't like. You cannot serve God and mammon. These are worldviews that you cannot partner with. And, and this is why I've been wondering, why am I teaching on Hebrews? Why am I teaching on Revelation? Because a great apostasy has taken place. Why is it taking place? Because a worldview is taking root in our culture that is superseding the Christian worldview. Why is that? Because we gave the education of our children to the government. And the government is Caesar. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to run hide. Gail says, no, you're not. She said, no, you're not. You're going to face this. Okay, just so you know, I didn't preach any of this last night. And you can, if you want to hear a nice sermon on, on uh, parents and children, you can listen to last night's sermon. We'll put them both online so you can hear it because, because that was where I was going. <laughs> I was going there. I'm going to read this text and then I'm going to bless you. And then listen, I'm going to bless you and release you. If anybody wants prayer, you can come forward. I'm not, I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to have anybody linger. Children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard, Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Lift up your hands, church. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you shalom. Amen. I love you. God bless you. If you need prayer, stay around. Otherwise, good day.